Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Hey friends, we got a good one for you today. Uh, this is our friends Suzanne Stabile and Ian Morgan Cron returning to the podcast. And what happened a few months ago, they made a trip down to Austin, Texas, and I helped them get started their new podcast, which is called Road Back to You. It's a discussion about all things from the Enneagram, which is great. And so what we have for you today is I recorded, I think it's about um, 14 minutes uh, of an introduction to their new podcast. And so this is me and uh, them talking about the Enneagram, the project. And then I actually have the very first episode of this new podcast called The Road Back to You, which is being released uh, today as well on their podcast. And I am kind of co-hosting it with them, helping them uh, begin this journey of podcasting. And so you're going to listen to the introduction for the first 14 minutes. And then we've got um, another, I guess it's like uh, almost 30 minutes. That's their first episode. And you're going to love it. You're going to love what they're doing. And you're probably going to want to listen to more. And good news is they've got another episode releasing Wednesday called The Road Back to You. That's the name of the podcast. And I'm also on that one. So I helped them record a handful. Uh, I was really prevalent in the first two. So this is the first one you listen to today. You're going to go download, subscribe to their podcast. And Wednesday, you're going to get the next episode. And it's going to have me on it as well. And then you're going to go, wow, these people are great. They don't need Luke anymore. And then I'm going to be gone. And you're going to keep listening, just like you're listening to this right now. So here we go. Right Road back alley. to you. Oh, the introduction was in the very first episode. All right, friends, welcome back right to the show. Today we now. are coming to you from Austin, Texas. And I've got two friends with me. Suzanne Stabile. Hi, Suzanne. Hi. And we've got Ian Cron. Hey. Hey. Hey, yourself. Hey, we are in my church building that I'm a part of, and there is a very good chance I would not be employed at the end of this conversation. But I'm glad <laughs> you guys are both You guys are both here. Now, both of you have been on the podcast before, but not together. And you guys are together because we're starting a brand new podcast, yet to be titled Talking Enneagram and Everything Else with Suzanne and Ian. Right. How excited are you guys about this? Scale one to ten. So... 11. 11. 9.5. 9.5. Oh, that hurt. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit more excitement. Understated. Yeah. <laughs> so we're talking, you guys are going to be doing the Enneagram. You've got a book that's going to come out in the fall. What's the title of it again? The Road Back to You. The Road Back to You. An Enneagram Journey of Self-Discovery. That's the subtitle. Wow. So the Enneagram is this road to your, to you, to me. I can finally find myself if I read your book. Is that what you're saying? Well, um, do you think he could? I, I mean... Tricky. It's harder for sevens. It's harder. <laughs> it's harder for sevens. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Why is that? Why is it harder for my personality or my number? Well, because you like detours. I know. The yeah. road back to you has a lot to do with... Do I need to read this book, though? If I'm yes, going to give... You totally you need to read this book. But I want a detour, so this is going to tell me not to detour. No. It's going to just tell you how to highlight uh, the sights on your detours. Uh-huh. So that's good. The road back to you essentially has to do with the fact that there, everything you have that's the best of you is already in you. You don't have to go find it somewhere else. You just have to find your way back to it. Mm. Wow, I hadn't even heard someone describe it like that. That was really great. You should write that down, Ian. Take notes. So we're, you guys are writing this book, uh, helping people finding their, their true self. 
That's what you want people to find. Uncover. Uncover. Why do we Why do we use the word uncover instead of anything? Well, because it's there. It's like you don't have to find it. Mm -hmm. You just have to allow it. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I mean, you know, theologically speaking, you think about each of us is carries a unique expression of the image of God. Mm -hmm. But you know, starting at birth, we start collecting a lot of debris and litter going through life, right? Mm -hmm. That begins to obscure or cloud over or veil that that self mm -hmm. and uh so the journey to realness right to our being truly ourselves is more about allowing god's grace and this process to allow that stuff simply to fall away so that that true self emerges versus us having to otherwise we'd be creating another false self yes right? yeah and calling it our true self mm -hmm. jack cornfield tells a great story about a a a golden statue of the Buddha that is um, was covered in plaster during wartime and to protect it, and they just covered it over and over and over. Mm -hmm. And it started to crack because of the weather and because of the years, and everybody thought it was just this old plaster Buddha, but they took care of it out of respect. And one of the monks decided to see what was inside because the cracks were so big, and as he shined the flashlight in, he saw that it was pure gold. So they took all the plaster off and found out that there was all this gold. So in terms of the Enneagram, we could talk about personality being all the protective plaster. Yeah. And underneath that, pure gold. Wow. So how does, so the Enneagram somehow helps you move past all the plaster that I've used as my false self. Um, I think someone used the, the metaphor of like, it's like training wheels, like your false self. They, they get you going in life, but ultimately if you're like a 50 year old man and you're trying to win the Tour de France with training wheels on, it's not gonna work out so well. And so we have like all this stuff that's preventing us from being our true self. How does the Enneagram help me move past that? Well, what the Enneagram does is it reveals the characteristic ways of thinking, feeling, acting, perceiving, you know, uh, processing information um, that distinct, in, for the Enneagram, nine different types of personalities employ, right, that mm -hmm. are characteristic of those, of those types. And so as you become more and more familiar with, uh, I don't want to say, the operations of your personality, if mm -hmm. you will, yeah. and learn to live uh, into a greater and deeper self-awareness where you can start catching yourself in those self-limiting, self-defeating behaviors and thoughts and mm -hmm. actions, et cetera, that the, the grip that those things have on our lives begin to loosen, hmm. you know? And we compassionately and really lovingly, and I really believe by, by grace, you know, I can't extricate myself from the mess that, that I'm in, yeah. you know, with, with dirty hands, it's kind of hard to wipe your own self off, you know. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a, uh, a great way to illuminate what's broken, you know, and uh, identify ways to cooperate with God to get back under right management. Yeah. Another really cool thing about the Enneagram is that the best part of you is also the worst part of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's a matter of uh, finding balance and all that so that you don't overdo. So for me, the best part of me is that I'm helpful and generous and kind and gracious. And, oh, no. 
just helpful and generous. <laughs> and so if I give with all the right reasons to all the right people in all the right ways, that's great. But if I give manipulatively and to be in control, that's not so great. Yeah. And so the the number that is is yours and other people line up with that is it a two yeah yeah you're a two so you help and so that's a good thing right but it can be a bad thing and so part of what i found the enneagram to be helpful for me is it shows me ways that like you were saying like the best part of me can also be the worst part of me right and so you and i have talked before and uh in the conversation you talked about once Mm -hmm. one of the things that i this is either in the podcast or in your know to know your number stuff and my wife is a one Mm -hmm. and she has fast like gravitated towards this language of like perfecting and so it's 9 30 at night i want to sit down and watch a tv show that distracts me from the troubles of the world right seven nice seven yeah thank you and my wife wants to organize the kitchen she wants to redo the closet she wants to perfect and i used to get in a fight with her and go Lindsay, why don't you just sit down and watch a show with me? Because that's how I relax. But her relaxing yeah. is completely different. So the Enneagram has given my marriage the language to say, oh, we're okay to be different. Yeah. yeah. We're okay. Is that one of the benefits of the Enneagram? That oh, it's man. I mean, you just articulated it so, so beautifully, right? So ones are the perfectionists, right? Mm-hmm. Sevens are the enthusiasts. Depending on who you read, there's different you know, names that different teachers use. But those are the ones we use for, for our work. And... You know, so if you're a one, that's where a one is going to get their energy from. Now, that can be problematic, too, right? Because, ironically, the very thing that you turn to to get your energy ultimately exhausts you, Mm -hmm. right, in some ways. But it does alert you as a spouse that somebody's perhaps needing some attention, right? And, uh, but it also, as you said, gives people compassion and insight into the ways that people move through the world that confound us Mm -hmm. in some ways. And I don't know about anyone else. I do know about everybody else about this, which is that everybody confuses us. (laughs) Oh, I think everybody that we know is a mystery and a source of confusion. And we feel a little like, gosh, I've been married for 28 years and I'm my, my wife is a continu- continual mystery to me. You know? So the Enneagram doesn't dehumanize her in some way. <clears throat> and what you, what's your wife's number? Nine. So you say, oh, you're a nine, so I know exactly what you're going to do. That's too simplistic for her and her humanity, right? Well, absolutely. I mean, I, the, the Enneagram is not some sort of a magic bullet that gives you a comprehensive picture of the mystery of a human soul, you know. That would be a bit overreaching, um, but what it does do is show me or kind of help me see what it is that motivates mm-hmm. my wife and what, how that motivation works itself out in her life or reveals to me some of her basic desires and fears. And I have to say that having that information uh, has had a lot of healing effect in our marriage. Really? Yeah. Have you guys experienced that as well, you and Joe? Oh, sure. I want to go back to Lindsay, though, for okay. a minute. Okay, yeah. Another thing that happens with ones when they're um, perfecting something is it's how they intuitively manage their anger. So at the end of a day, a one has made mistakes that they're uncomfortable with, things that they would have loved to have done better, and all that kind of plays for them. So one of the things they can do is order something 
since other things are out of order. Mm. And it's uh, as calming for a one to do that in order to manage her day as it is for you to kind of kick back and watch maybe mindless television in order for you to step away from pastoring and all that came with that and all that's required for that for a little bit of time. So the idea that what would be um, refreshing or renewing or reinvigorating for one person doesn't mean that it is for another. Yeah, that's been so life-giving for me. Uh, so I, I moved to this new church, and I think it might be bad, but after working with these people for four or five months that I worked with day in and day out, I pretty, I'm pretty certain of, like, I know half of their numbers. And instead of going, wait a minute, why do you always do that? It gives me a language to say, oh, they're, that's just how they operate, and that's just who they are. It's probably not fair for me to, like, pigeonhole them, but it does give me some grace for, for me to be able to say, okay, they're different for me. So I'm excited that you guys are doing this podcast. And in some ways I'm going to be kind of like the false self for the podcast, helping you with the first two episodes, kind of like a training wheel, <laughs> That's right? Good. Yep. That's yeah. Good. And I'm excited. Ian, y- your work has been so helpful for me. Uh, I've quoted you more than anyone else since I've gotten to this church. I think I, I showed you in my, my truck on the way over here, my notes for last Sunday. I literally quoted your stuff. Um, what did I quote you about? I forgot. Uh, obviously a memorable piece. It was very memorable. Yeah. I've just moved on to next week already. Uh, chasing really? Francis. As a seven, you've already moved on yeah, to next all, week? Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah, like, well, like Tigger. I wrote, this is a Monday. Last night, Sunday night, I wrote my, finished my sermon for next Sunday. Wow. And so I'm just on to the next one. But, wow, that's something. Yeah, I'm a machine. I'm just glad you finished yesterday's before <laughs> you started next week. Well, no, I work on... That shows real maturity. I, I, I work on three at a time. There you let's go. not, oh, got it, let's got not it, got judge it. that. Yeah. But it, Suzanne, your work has been helpful for me. Like I just described to you before, uh, it's helped my wife and I in our marriage, and I hope it can do uh, just a modicum of that for other people, and they will be extremely grateful for that. So thank you for what you guys are doing, and we're actually going to segue into your first episode right now. So this is... Keep listening, people. It's not going to be the same podcast, and this is an awkward Welcome to The Road Back to You. Cool Looking it. at life so, through the lens of the Enneagram, I'm Suzanne Stubiel. And I'm Ian Crun. And we're so glad that you're listening today. Welcome to our podcast. We're brand new to this and uh, not so sure what we're doing. Absolutely have no clue what we're doing. So we've asked our friend Luke Norsworthy, a veteran podcaster. Right. And a good one. And a very good one. Oh, stop it, guys. To come and just actually, this is kind of a tutorial, like a live tutorial yeah. of how to podcast. We're with, learning as we go. As we go. Well, I am so excited to be here. I love both of you guys. You do great stuff. And I'm so excited for this podcast to be going down. So thanks for letting me be a part of it. Thanks for being willing. Yeah. yeah. So you guys uh, have a new book that's going to be coming out in the fall. The title is? The Road Back to You. That's what, right. What are we talking about in The Road Back to You? Well, the, the, the subtitle is uh, An Enneagram Journey to Self-Discovery. So it's a book about the Enneagram. The Enneagram. Now, Susan, where, when did you get introduced to the Enneagram? Uh, about 25 years ago. Um, I was given a book by Richard Rohr, which I read, and then um, my husband is a former Roman Catholic priest, currently a United Methodist pastor, and 
he called Richard one day and said, um, hi, this is who I am, and my wife and I'd like to come see you and talk to you about these six or seven things. And uh, Father Roy said, okay, come on. Nice. Yeah, so um, I learned it from him, and he encouraged me um, to work with it for a long time before I talked about it, which I did. How long did you go? Five years. Five years. And let me, can I just tell you something that for Suzanne not to talk for five years about something is really proof that there is a God. <laughs> that was a very big deal. I'm, I, the reason I still talk about that is because I'm so proud of myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. So then give a basic like uh, intro to the Enneagram for someone who doesn't know anything about it. The Enneagram is simply nine ways of seeing, nine ways of being, nine ways of responding to what you see. So um, it's old, old, old. Nobody knows exactly how old. Nobody knows exactly where it came from. What I know is it's true. Yeah, I mean, the, I, mean I guess supposing, you know, from a technical perspective, it's a personal typology, personality typology. It's a right, system like what's of, the Greek? You know Greek. Uh, Enneagram means what in Greek? Nine, nine, ennea. Yeah. Gramos meaning point or, or figure. I mean, so it's yeah. a... Yeah, so that's it. Yeah. So you get nine points. And we don't know where it comes from. We don't know the exact beginning. We have traces of it back. Way How, back. Way back. Desert mothers and fathers. Uh, we see some evidence in, in ancient Greek uh, writers in Judaism. You know, so it's, it's a bit of a mutt, right? It, it emerges out of a, a bunch of wisdom traditions. And, and I would say, you know, as a therapist, it, that it, there's a great deal of influence from modern psychology involved. Yeah. So, uh, Suzanne, you, you heard about it from Richard Rohr. Uh, Ian, where did you first hear about the Enneagram? Well, it was uh, 1992. I was on a retreat. I was in seminary in Denver, Colorado. And at the center where I was staying, they had a, I found a copy of this book by Richard Rohr, which was the book prior to the one that most people have now, the Enneagram, a Christian uh, perspective. perspective. So it was the one before that. And I read it in the course of a weekend, like I swallowed it whole in a weekend. And uh, I was pretty hooked on it at that point as seeing it as an incredible tool for spiritual formation for, for, you know, for Christians. As someone who was in seminary, when you heard about Enneagram, what was your initial take? Obviously, you wanted to read so much about it, so you're interested. Uh, did you have... Uh, a concern about the Enneagram is something that like you'd never heard before as someone who was going into ministry? You know, I, you know, at the time when I read it, first of all, you know, Richard's a, a Catholic priest. And, and so that certainly gave it credibility in, in, in my mind. Uh, I happened at that time though, to be in a conservative Protestant seminary. Right. And I, I remember sharing with my professor, my theology professor, I'd read this great book on the Enneagram, and he got this kind of dark look come over his face as though I had said something, you know, like I was doing sorcery or like Christian astrology over the weekend or something, you know. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but thankfully, I didn't let that throw me off the, the trail of it, because I, as Suze would say, you know, uh, it's true, you know, it, it has the ring of truth to it. It's, it's not perfect, but it's a, it's a great tool for, for spiritual formation for, for really anybody. Mm -hmm. So your background, you are a priest, mm -hmm. uh, you have training in counseling. A, well, an Episcopal priest, just to be Do have to specific. specific. Right. So Episcopalians, were they, uh, when you were going uh, 
starting your church in Greenwich. Is that mm-hmm. where your church is? Uh, at the time, were people using the Enneagram? Anyone that you kn- knew of who was uh, using that in their church? No, at the time I didn't. Um, I would say that, you know, I knew people within the Catholic community that were using it. Uh, I knew a lot of people in retreat centers who were using it, spiritual directors who were using it. Um, but I didn't know a lot of churches that were using it, not, not certainly as many as there are today. I mean, gosh, there's a lot of churches today that we find there's a tremendous amount of interest and desire to know about it. Mm-hmm. I teach in churches at least twice a month. Mm-hmm. One thing I would say, too, my way in was a little bit different in that I wasn't coming from a, a church professional position to learn the Enneagram. I am an adopted child. And that means that I spent my childhood aware that I didn't look like anybody. So since I was a little girl, I've been very curious as to how people behave because I dialed in pretty quick to, well, since I don't look like anybody, I wonder if I act like anybody else. I wonder if I do things the way other people do them. And that would have, I thought, in my way of thinking then, given me a place or a sense of belonging. And I think that set me up all through the years until my late 30s when I started to learn the Enneagram and recognized then that we all act like one another in some ways, and there are people who act more like me than other people. So my way in was more relational, and my um, commitment to it now has to do with, I think, our commitment to it in some ways, has to do with desperately wanting the world to be a kinder, more gentle place. And when we're teaching, we guarantee that once you learn this, you'll be more compassionate. Whatever else you are uh, may not change, but you will have more compassion. Yeah, I think the the other thing I love about it is that it, you know, I think a lot of people just in general and we're just confused about why we do the things that we do and why other people think, feel, and act the way that they do. And I think we spend a lot of time trying to navigate our, you know, lack of understanding about who other people are. And I think it's very hard to truly love other people without understanding, you know? I mean, I think compassion built into it is an understanding of difference and appreciation for difference and just you know, recognizing that all of us have, you know, our own, this may be overstated. I know you'd be surprised that I'm going to say something overstated. But I think we all have our own kinds of prisons. I think everybody has their own sets of, you know, bars and things that keep them limited and, 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 you know, trapped inside of patterns and, you know, repetitions in their lives. That Do you guys ever, do y'all ever think about what you, who you want to talk to if, if, or when you go to heaven? Like you want to, have conversations with people. So, like, I, I for sure want to talk to Paul because right. I got some questions to ask. Right. But I always hate to just take and not give. So I, I thought at the end of asking Paul questions, I might say, like, if you want to ask me a question, I know an answer to one of your questions. What do you think Paul should ask you? I think he should ask me, why do I do the very thing I don't want to do? Because he talks about it all through the New Testament. And so I, and I know. What is the answer for that? Because of his Enneagram number. What is he? I don't have any idea, but I know that the reason we all do the very things that we don't want to keep doing, like you have a new church, and I bet you coming here, you thought, 
you know, there are some things in my previous church that I did that probably just didn't serve me as well as they could have. So when I get to the new church, I'm not going to do those things. Mm -hmm. And I bet you're doing them. Most of them. Yeah, you are, because we do the same things over and over. And the great question is, why do I do that? And it's because you've been behaving in that personality pattern since you were five. So what can the Enneagram do to change that? Show it to you. It shows you what you're doing, and you just have to have to have a gentle kindness around, oh, look, there you go, you're doing it again. So I help people who don't even want my help. Mm-hmm. I exhaust myself just being helpful because of my personality to people who say, wow, I, I, I'd, I'd do all right next time if you don't feel like you need to jump in and help me. Hmm. Can, can you so, you know, let me, can I, I'm sorry. I just did a, a podcast no-no. I just interrupted the host. Oh, you're not supposed to do that? I guess not. But this is our podcast. This is really your podcast. Can so we can, interrupt each other? That's a given. That's, yeah, that's, that's what I thought. That's kind of an inevitable deal. Uh, you know, let's talk about personality for a second. Like, what is it? Right? Because I think there's a lot of people who, you know, say, oh, I know what a personality is. And then until you ask them to define it. And then they're like, oh, yeah, I can, I'm not quite sure. I'm all sidetracked now because there are rules. Y'all didn't give me any rules. And now I just learned you broke one. What's that? You interrupted the host. Are there other rules that I don't know about? She's not a rule Are you breaker. anxious about that? I am a little. Oh, well, we're going to... Let's, let's circle around to that. I can help you work it out. Okay. So personality, I mean, depending on the school of psychology you come from, but maybe one way of thinking about it is that it refers to a person's characteristic patterns of thinking, feeling, acting, seeing the world, it has to do with worldview, the way that we process information, among other things. And it also refers to these underlying psychological mechanisms, right? Those hidden things that we can't see that drive our behaviors, thinking, right, and, and uh, feeling, right? That things like motivations that we carry up from, from childhood, among other things. So, you know, uh, the personality is uh, a subject in psychology around which there is not a lot of agreement. There are many, many schools within psychology. And one of the things I love about the Enneagram is, is that it accounts for the, the complexity of the, of, the, of the personality and also the spiritual dimensions of personality and takes those, you know, kind of a beautiful synthesis of, of realizing it's about both, hmm. you know. So how does, it, how does it bring them both together? You said it's a synthesis of both. Yeah. Okay, so let's compare the Enneagram to other personality typologies like the Myers-Briggs, yeah. right? Or, you know, all the other big five or mm-hmm. various other sort of personality or traits. Let's, like the Myers-Briggs. That's right. probably one of the more popular ones. Right. What is the difference in the Enneagram than the Myers-Briggs? Well, I'm not a Myers-Briggs uh, expert, okay. so I don't want to say enough. that I am. But I would say this. What I do know of the two and what I love about the Enneagram is is that it accounts for the, for the, the fluidity and the dynamism of the human personality, right? So in other words, that I find that a lot of times with Myers-Briggs and these other things that they're, they, they, they're more static. It's like almost, okay, here's your box, here's your four letters or whatever. But what the Enneagram realizes is that the, the human personality changes with, or, or, or adapts within the course of a given day from healthy to unhealthy or average, you know, or, and that under stress it goes one place. And, you know, like, for example, it, I feel pretty secure right now. I'm hanging out. I'm in America. I've just had lunch. We're in a nice room. I'm with friends. Now, if I were in a war situation right now, my personality would be different. Right. It's adaptive. So the Enneagram, once you learn it, really accounts, takes all that into account 
and um, in a way that I find particularly helpful to people as they move toward self-knowledge, self-awareness, which is critical, and toward health, right? Well, wholeness. Don't you think one of the things that we're just really trying to do is help people love themselves and love Mm -hmm. other people and love God? Yes. And if you can eliminate some of the questions that you ask over and over and over about those three things, then there's a way for us to move forward in a more cohesive way with one another. And there's so much division everywhere that is determined by a lack of understanding and a lack of appreciation for the fact that we don't all see the same way. So I have a friend who teaches uh, significantly visually impaired children in the Dallas Independent School District. And she was going to have her first parent-teacher conference, and an optician in Dallas told her that he could make glasses for each of the parents so that they could put them on and see what their children can and cannot see. And when they did that, it was a very emotional experience for everybody. She said everybody in the room was crying, the kids and the parents, and she was crying, everybody was. And I think, excuse me, I think part of what we need to understand is that we see differently. So if if, um, I could ever have one dream come true for me professionally, and it's not going to happen, it would be that we had nine pairs of glasses because there are nine Enneagram numbers, and everybody could try them on, and they could see how differently we all see. And then you just kind of take a deep breath, and you go, oh, oh, I had no idea. Yeah, and that's the thing, you know, that I think is so amazing. Like in marriages, like we work with people. I I swear to you, every time, even this past weekend in Nashville, we, uh, we have 450 people in Nashville. Talk about people hungry to come figure out who they are, right, and who each other are. Um, what always amazes me is couples will walk out inevitably and someone will say, you just, you just in 24 hours, you just gave me 20% more insight into my spouse than I've had in 20 years. And it's, I'm not fooling. It's not like we invented it. I mean, all we're doing is, you know, talk, teaching it, but it, it, that seeing the world through another person's eyes to say, oh my gosh, I've always just assumed that you see the same thing I've always seen. I, I have this driver, actually, that I take from the airport that Susan knows, Tom. Yeah. Tom, the crazy driver. Yeah. And, and uh, he, he can out-talk me that time. Oh, my gosh. So oh, wow. anyway, he says, to, you know, uh, uh, he's in a 12-step program, this guy, and he's always got words of wisdom for me every time I get in the car. Me he, too. He, and we were, I was talking about different ways that people see the world, you know, and he goes, you know, Ian, he's got this raspy voice. He does. He goes, uh, sometimes I feel like we're all in the same theater, looking at the same screen, watching a different movie. And I thought, that's it. That's pretty brilliant. In other words, yeah, we all are watching the same thing, but we're all processing it. And, you know, some people take it in at the level of thinking. Other people take it in the level of feeling. Some people, I mean, you know, there's a lot of different combinations of the ways that people do that. The Enneagram helps people see, but it is amazing how differently people take in the world. And once you take that into account, you're smarter. I mean, you're just smarter about and more loving and helpful toward other people. So I'm hearing this going, okay, I see the world different from the people around me. I want to be able to connect with them. I want to be more compassionate. I want to be more loving. How does the Enneagram get me from, okay, I know I see it differently. I want to be more loving. I want to see the way you do. How does the Enneagram actually deliver on that? 
So I'm going to start by saying there are five people in the room right now while we're doing this, and none of us see the same. And we are no longer good at giving other people time to explain to us how they see without arguing with them, Hmm. without trying to get people to see the way we see, right? So in whatever way, and whoever did it, I don't know, literally I've taught thousands of people the Enneagram. And they find themselves in one of these nine ways of seeing. In one of these nine personality types, people find themselves. And it's not perfect. Everything that we teach doesn't fit you. But there are things that are so true that with the exception of one type, everybody else in the Enneagram gets a little bit uncomfortable when they hear their number because they know that's them. And some are so happy to know that other people see the way they do and experience life the way they do, they start crying. Some people laugh. Some people are so anxious to talk to somebody they love who they've misunderstood that they run out and call them. There's such good stuff that goes on around this very um, simple but complex way of describing nine different ways of being in the world. Mm -hmm. So I'm... Like I said already, I'm super excited you guys are doing this podcast. Big fan of both of yours. And so I'm really excited about what you have, um, this teaching, the way that you can help people relate to themselves, relate to others. So is this podcast going to be a way for someone to tune in to go, I've never heard anything about the Enneagram before, and this is going to get me on the journey to getting to know myself? I think it's going to do that more. Because I think, given what I know of, of Susan and I, um, that... You know, we're, we're, we're pretty wide-ranging in our thinking and our interests. So, you know, I think we'll always be, you know, tapping the ball with the Enneagram and coming back to that all the time. But, you know, we want to see how it applies to the rest of life. We're interested in things like, well, what are we here for? Why are we here? And what, what, is the, what does it mean to be human and to interact with the world and with God and, and with ourselves? And so I think it's going to go pretty wide, you know. One of the most important questions I ask myself and that I offer to other people is, what is mine to do? Yeah. What is, what is mine to do? What, what, is, what does that mean? It means, why am I here and what is mine to do? Mm-hmm. And you need to know that so that you can um, connect to the gifts you have for doing what is yours to do. And I... I think that is a piece of the mystical but tangible grace and love of God is that there is something that is ours to do and knowing ourselves helps us step into that. Yeah, I I think one of the things that has really helped me and, and some other folks is I, I remember when I first heard that you know, nine types. I'm like, seriously? Like, nine types? Uh, that seems a little reductive to me. Uh, and, and it also felt to me like I was going to get pigeonholed. It just se- all seemed very simple and, and silly to me. And uh, if anything, it, as Sue says, it's, it's simple, and, and you can get a lot from it without having to go diving too deep, you know? But, I mean, obviously, the deeper you go into it, the, the more you'll, you'll get from it. But there isn't really... Uh, nine types, really. There, there aren't. Well, I should take that back. There are nine types, but it, I like to think of them as more like colors, right? So, if you think about a type as being blue, 
mm -hmm. right? That there's just on the prism, there's an infinite variety of blues, right? There's, just go through a, you know, a Ralph Lauren catalog and look at their paint chips and you'll figure out how many blues there are or could be, right? Yeah. And so, you know, you're a, let's say you're a seven, that's blue, and I'd say there is no other blue on the, in that spectrum of seven like you. You are utterly unique, but you're still blue. That that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess for me, the Enneagram is just incredibly useful. And when you get into typologies and psychology, it's like I don't worry so much about statistical accuracy and research. It's like just tell me, is it useful? And I don't know a more useful tool. Yeah, it sounds great. And I think this is going to be an outstanding podcast. And I'm so excited you guys are doing it. So we are too. We're really excited. Well, people should tune back in. There's going to be plenty more good stuff. Yep. Say bye, Suzanne. Bye. You've been listening to The Road Back to You, looking at life through the lens of the Enneagram. Our producer is Jim Chapey, and our engineer is Brad Bass. Our theme music is provided by the band Waterdeep from their album Moment, written by Laurie Chaffer. Please visit our website at www.theroadbacktoyou.com for news, more podcasts, and information on our public appearances around the country. And you can pre-order our book, The Road Back to You, An Enneagram Journey to Self-Discovery, at Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. And join us next time when we'll be with Luke Norsworthy of Newsworthy with Norsworthy. He'll be with us again to talk about the basics of the Enneagram. It'll be good.